Welcome to the weekly Comic Web Old Time Radio Program podcast. We sell old time radio programs, Golden Age comics in PDF format, and we have other free podcasts. Visit comicweb.com for more information or find us on Facebook and iTunes. This week our podcast features two episodes of Night Editor. Each is about 15 minutes long. They probably first aired in the mid-1930s, but we're not really sure. Edwards, the coffee with the extra flavor left brings you Night Editor. Once again, the press is rolled to bring us another yarn from the newsroom as Hal Burdick, your night editor, tells us a tensely human story of a woman's love and the dreaded climax it brought her. His story titled, Care of Postmistress Clara. She wanted to run, but she knew there was no place far enough to escape what awaited her within the next few minutes. Tom Harger was home from prison. After 15 years, the truth was to come out. He was to learn what this woman he trusted had done to him through those years, the shambles she'd made of whatever hope was left him. And when he knew... His hatred would set the terms of the accounting. Friends, that opening roar of the presses sort of typifies, you might say, the general acclaim Edwards Coffee is winning from coast to coast because of its delicious extra flavor lift. Yes, Edwards is the kind of coffee that really satisfies, makes you really want a second cup. You see, Edwards Coffee is extra-rich coffee, blended and roasted under Mr. Dwight Edwards' own personal supervision, the expert custom way to bring you all the rich, natural coffee flavor of Edwards' exclusive blend. And to keep that delicious flavor and aroma absolutely fresh, every pound is ground immediately after roasting, then vacuum-packed to seal in all the pure, rich coffee goodness. Yes, friends, if you're particular about coffee, if you like really good coffee... By all means, try Edwards Coffee. It's truly grand. Edwards Coffee is featured at all Safeway stores. Well, it's late at night and the newsroom tension is quieting. In a few minutes, the final edition will be on its way to the presses and all the staff, except the late watch crew, will be going home. Bobby puts the cover on his typewriter, closes his desk, and strolls over to Hal's office in the corner. It's getting to be that time of night, Hal. Yep, as soon as the run starts, we can call it a day, Bobby. And what a day. Do you realize we didn't even get out for coffee tonight? <laughs> I do, which is tough on a couple of men who like their mid-evening cup. Oh, uh... By the way, as we leave the building, don't let me forget to mail that letter to my young nephew. Okay. Where is he now, Hal? Oh, I don't know. Out in the Pacific somewhere with the Navy. Hmm. Address, care of Fleet Post Office, San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, that's it, Bobby. You know, I never write that direction, which has become so common to all of us, that I don't recall another care of address that once was the basis of an intensely human story. I was remembering it tonight. What was that, Chief? <laughs> well, I call it... Care of Postmistress Clara. Huh? Care of Postmistress Clara? Who's she? Oh, a very sweet, gentle person who was postmistress in the foothill town of Glen Oaks for many years. But I, I don't get it. Did people address letters to the folks in town in care of her? Well, while we're waiting, I'll tell you the story, Bobby. A story few people know. A story that came to its climax one summer afternoon a number of years ago. The afternoon Tom Harger came back to Glen Oaks from 15 years in prison. Came back to the accounting that she knew must be made. Standing back of the honeycomb of mailboxes in the front corner of her little dry goods and notion shop, she saw him across Main Street talking with Dr. Boland. For an instant, she couldn't believe it. His sentence was for life with no chance of parole. Yet, there he was. She pulled back from the window, pressing her trembling body against the wall for support. Not even time to think, to decide. Tom Harger was back. After 15 years, the truth was to come out. 
He was to learn what this woman he'd trusted had done to him through the years, the shambles she'd made of whatever hope was left to him. And when he knew his hatred would set the terms of the accounting. In the little living room back of the store and post office, she awaited his coming while the years stood in judgment around her. The people of Glen Oaks had liked Tom Harger from the day he first came there, 18 years before, and found a place in Stanton's hardware store. They accepted him for what he was without prying into what might have gone before, and he in turn quickly justified their friendship, taking a willing part in community affairs, the church, the modest social life of the village. And it was no surprise when his attention centered on Leela Stanton, though there were some who said her father's money and position had made her a little too flighty for a steady, earnest fellow like Tom, and he might have done better to look twice at Clara. Whatever she may have thought, she kept within the secret boundaries of her own heart, and to the world was only glad for Tom and Leela. After all, she was only postmistress Clara, and probably would be known as the town spinster someday. Then it happened, and the suddenness of it stunned the town of Glen Oaks. Two strangers had arrived one morning, and with a shock of lightning from a clear sky, the news flashed through the village. Tom Harger wasn't the fine, upstanding young man they believed. He was an escaped convict from a Midwestern prison, mixed up in a gang robbery and killing. They were there to take him back. When Clara heard it, she wanted to hurry to his side. She wanted to unlock those secret places of her heart, tell him she believed in him, she'd stand by him. But she couldn't. Only one woman had the right to do that. Leela Stanton. But Tom had come to her, and there in the little living room, alone... I'm going to ask a favor of you, Clara. Oh, if there's anything I can do, Tom, I shan't even try to see Leela. Her father wouldn't permit it, even if she was willing. She wanted to put her arms around him, cradle his head against her shoulder, let her love for him bring hope back to his haggard face. But she could only sit there, waiting for him to go on. I don't expect anyone to believe in me, unless it's you, Clara. Believe that... That my real guilt was only that of a dumb kid who didn't know what he was doing when he drove a getaway car. It was no excuse. But when I was sent up with the others, I thought it wasn't fair. And when the chance to escape came, I took it. I thought I could build my life all over again. This proves I've been wrong a second time. This trip I go back for no one knows how long. Beyond the door, one of the officers called impatiently. Clara, someday after I get back there... Maybe I'll write to her. Tell her the truth. Let her judge for herself whether she wants to wait for me. I can't send it to her. Her father would tear it up. But maybe I could send it to you and you could see that she got it. We could fix up some code that would tell you. Some words on the envelope. Of course. I see all the mail first, Tom. Just just address it in my care. I'll know. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I'll address it. Care of Postmistress Clara. Nothing else. Not even her name. There'll be no chance of anything going wrong. Six months went by before the first letter came. In the mound of letters, newspapers, packages that poured from the sack onto the sorting table, it seemed to call out to her. No name on it, just care of Postmistress Clara, Glen Oaks. The white hands that picked it up burned under the touch of it. His first letter to be delivered secretly. And only that morning, Leela had stood in the little shop saying, I want you to be one of the first to know, Clara. I'm going to marry Laurie Kendry next month. Laurie? But, Tom, oh, please don't mention him. I'm trying to forget that unfortunate part of my life. That night, she sat alone, the unopened letter on the table before her. Care of Postmistress Clara. Tom Harger putting his heart, his will to live in her hands. 
It couldn't be delivered after what Leela had said. Yet, what was she to do? Write him? Tell him what had happened? She who always would love him be the one to quench the tiny flame of hope that could make the long years ahead of him bearable? She didn't try to excuse or explain it to herself. But with the coming of dawn, she put the unopened letter in an old trunk and then sat down to write a reply. To write tender words of belief in him, of courage to face the years, of willingness to wait. And when she came to the end, she wrote, I love you, and signed it, Leela. Tiny voices within her cried out a warning against the falsehood of the signature. But the louder voice of her love silenced them. It was for him the one thing that might even keep him alive. She would take whatever reckoning her deception might store up for her. And now, now after 15 years, the hour of that reckoning was here. In the trunk, the pile of letters, care of postmistress Clara had grown with the passing of those years. Each one unopened, but each one answered over the signature of Leela. From the first blind, desperate beginning so long ago, the web of her deception, born of her love for him, had grown until now it had the power to destroy her. Attorney Maxwell, Dr. Boland, they'd said his escape in the long ago had taken away all hope of parole when he was taken back. But they were wrong. Tom Harger had returned, and accounting was to be made. She heard the door to the shop open and close. Then he was standing in the open door to the living room. Then coming toward her, hands outstretched, face glowing. Well, Clara! She wondered at the strength that brought her to her feet. Tom? Well, <laughs> the bad penny has turned up again. You're looking very well. Mm, for a man who spent 15 years in prison. His laughter was gay, carefree. His voice had the eagerness of the youth they once had known together. She let him do the talking, her mind too dulled by what she so soon must reveal to him to do more than mumble answers. Then, <laughs> you know why I came back, of course, Clara. Of course. The letters. Oh, I don't know what I'd have done if it hadn't been for them, if I hadn't known someone was waiting for me. Given up, I guess. I wanted to see you first thing and tell you what it meant to me. Even before... He let the sentence go unfinished, but she knew what he was thinking. Even before he went to Leela. Leela, who wasn't there waiting for him, who never had been. Saying thank you for what you did doesn't express it, Clara. I guess... Tom? Yes? Tom, your letters to her. They're all in the trunk there, unopened. She never saw them. She was planning her marriage before the first came. And the answers, I wrote them. All those years you were in prison, I let you believe she was waiting for you. I knew what it meant to you. I knew it was the one thing that would make you want to live. You've come home to nothing but the deception I built for you. And if you kill me for it, it's no more than I deserve. She sank into the chair, sobbing. Above her, his voice was hoarse with emotion. Did it mean so much to you that I should want to live? Her whispered, yes, was a faint echo of her agony. His fingers sunk into her shoulders harshly as he lifted her to her feet again, swinging her around to face him. Then she heard his voice saying, Don't you suppose I knew, almost from the start who sent those letters, who wrote the words, I love you, at the end of each, no matter what name was signed to them? You, you knew? From the day Doc Boland sent me the announcement of Leela's wedding. I knew, and it made me want to live for the day of my return. Tom... Her eyes were open now, searching his face frantically, then closing again as his lips brushed her cheek and she heard him saying, For fifteen years, my happiness has been in care of postmistress Clara. <laughs> 
I'd like to keep it there. If you don't mind. Friends, did you know that roasting coffee not only turns the coffee golden brown, but actually develops richness of flavor? Actually adds to it? I mention this because it sort of typifies the way Edwards coffee is blended and roasted to give you an extra flavor lift. Yes, something extra goes into Edwards coffee to make it extra good. And that's the care, the knowledge of fine coffees, the patient coffee know-how learned over many, many years. Each pound of Edwards coffee is blended and roasted under Mr. Dwight Edwards' own personal formula. Blended by flavor, not by weight, from the choicest Central and South American coffee beans. Each pound is roasted by the modern heated air thermalo process, which brings out the full, delicious, natural flavor. Then, immediately ground and vacuum-packed, your guarantee of perfect freshness. Yes, it's wonderful coffee. Try a pound and see. If you don't thoroughly enjoy Edwards' extra flavor lift... Your money refunded. Edwards Coffee is featured at all Safeway stores. And now, Hal has a word for us about next week's yarn from the newsroom. Well, it's a humor story about old Justice of the Peace, Obadiah Trent of Terryville. <laughs> Judge Obie, who used a long-forgotten law to save a girl's home from being taken away from her. It's titled, The Law's Delay. And I think it'll bring you some smiles when I tell it in the newsroom next week. Good night. Be sure to join us next week at this same time when the roar of the presses brings us Hal Burdick, our night editor, in another of his famous yarns. This is Bill Baldwin saying good night for Edwards Coffee. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Edwards, the coffee with the extra flavor lift brings you Night Editor. Press his roll for another story from the newsroom as Hal Burdick tells us his delightfully humorous yarn about old Judge Obadiah Trent, titled The Law's Delay. People on the main street of Terryville were surprised that morning to see Heber Trafton driving sedately into town, followed by Constable Ed Gates on his motorcycle. Then, amazed, as the constable waved Trafton to a stop, and a moment later was escorting the sputtering, protesting driver across the street to Judge Obie's office. Friends, when I say that Edwards Coffee is good coffee, that's a real understatement. Because Edwards Coffee is better than good. It's a special blend of Central and South America's finest coffees, blended the careful, custom way, according to Mr. Dwight Edwards' own personal formula, to bring you an extra flavor lift. Sincerely, money can't buy better coffee. So try delicious Edwards Coffee and see for yourself. If you don't thoroughly enjoy its extra flavor lift... Your money will be refunded. Edwards Coffee is featured at all Safeway stores. Well, the pressure of getting out the early editions left little time for relaxation from the newsroom grind tonight. But at last, Hal and his young desk man, Bob, have found a few minutes breathing spell. And right now in the kitchen of the food editor's office down the uh, hallway... Pull up a chair, boss. Coffee's on. Yeah, right, Bobby. Oh, and don't forget to put that Edwards jar back on the shelf before we leave. <laughs> Not a chance. The last time I forgot it, I got a real balling out from Jane Holmes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, before I forget... Have you assigned someone to cover the governor's speech at that war memorial dedication in Wickford next Sunday? Oh, sure. Barney's going up there with a photographer, Hal. Yeah, good. <laughs> I'd sort of like to be making that trip myself, Bobby. 
Give me a chance to stop off at Terryville and look up my old friend Judge Obie. Terryville? Don't mm-hmm. tell me that whistle stop right to judge. <laughs> well, uh, Justice of the Peace, to be correct. Yeah. Justice of the Peace, Obadiah Trent. Also the town's leading hay, grain, and feed merchant. <laughs> ah, he's a great old character. All right, Hal. Slide the sugar my way, and I'll be ready to listen to it. Hmm? Listen to what? It's a story about Judge Obie. Don't tell me there isn't one. <laughs> one? I expect there are hundreds of them if I could ever have time to dig them out, Bobby. But there is one, I know. One that might be titled, The Law's Delay. The story of Judge Obie and old Heber Trafton and, uh, Millie Davis. You see, everyone in Terryville knew what was happening to Millie. Knew that Trafton was about to take her home away from her on a foreclosure sale to cover some debts left by her late father. And there was nothing the modest folk of Terryville could do about it, much as they disliked old Skinflint Trafton. He wanted the place more than he did the money. He had joined his farm a mile down the other side of the river from town. The new state highway would go by it someday. The property would be worth a lot more than the amount he loaned on it. Nothing would stop Heber from taking it. Then late afternoon, the day before the foreclosure sale was to be held in Whitford, the county seat, Millie came tearing into Obadiah's feed store and the office, which also served as a courtroom, so excited it looked like electric sparks were shooting from her glowing smile. After a breathless moment, she thrust a letter into his hands. It was from an insurance company and informed her that she was a beneficiary in an insurance policy left by an aunt. The money was waiting for her in the company's office, nearly $4,000. Judge Obey looked up, smiling. (laughs) Well, say, that's mighty good news, Millie. Sort of makes up for what Heber Trafton is planning to do to you. Makes up for it? Why, Judge Obey, this fixes everything. I can pay him off and keep the place for Mother and me. Obadiah tugged at one ear. Hmm. Yeah. I wonder, well, why not? All told, I only owe him around 3700 Well, I don't want to be a killjoy, Millie, but may not work out, you figure. Foreclosure sale set for one thirty tomorrow. You've got to go clear to the city to get your money. Office ain't open till 9. <laughs> Best driving you can do. It's going to be, oh, near 2 o'clock time you get back to Wickford. Right smack at one thirty. Heber's going to be there and bid in the property. Even if you're there in time to bid, he'll go higher. Oh, no, Judge Obey. Surely he can't do that. <laughs> Not only can, but will, sure as fate. Couldn't keep him from that sale with a ten-gauge double-barrel shotgun. They sat there silent, looking out the window, watching a car move slowly down the street and rumble across the old wooden bridge over Preston River. <laughs> There's Heber now, heading for home. And I'd like to follow him and, and, and tie him up or do something to him so he couldn't get to that sale tomorrow. Well, we might pry a couple planks out of the bridge so he couldn't get back across it tomorrow. Learn things so rickety wouldn't be much of a job. There was another long silence. The girl stood up wearily. Well, I won't bother you any longer. If anyone could figure out a way to stop him, you could. Guess I'm licked. Thanks for listening to me and... Millie! Obadiah's hand hit the desk with a bang that made her jump. By jing! Well, uh, uh, what is it, Judge Obie? Craziest idea I ever had in my life. Yeah, maybe it won't work. Most likely not. But uh, now, look here, Millie. Early, early tomorrow morning, you head for the city. You get your hands on that money as soon as you can, then hit back for Whitford. With luck, you should be there pretty soon after, one thirty to bid in your property for what's due on it. And what about Heber? He'll be there out. Bid me. You said yourself. Never mind what I said. Do as I'm telling you. Could be something will happen to uh, <clears throat> delay Heber from getting there. Now, you get yourself out of here and leave me to do some thinking. Of which same I've got plenty to do, including a little study of the law. 
Late the following morning, people on Terryville's one block of Main Street observed Constable Ed Gates coming out of Judge Obie's office after a long conference. They saw him mount his motorcycle and go clattering across the bridge, then head down the river road toward the Trafton place. If they wondered about it, they were amazed a half hour later to see Hebert Trafton driving toward town, followed by the constable, and then bowled over when just as the car left the bridge and turned into Main Street, Ed Gates pulled up beside it, waved Hebert to a stop, and a moment later was escorting the sputtering driver across the street to Judge Obie's office. Trafton exploded when he entered the room. Will you tell this fool constable to stop annoying me? Morning, Hebert. Something matter? Matter? This confounded idiot says I'm arrested for speeding. Indeed, now. Well, speeding's a serious fence, Hebert. But I wasn't speeding and he knows it. He trailed me all the way into town from my place. He knows I didn't go over 25 miles an hour at any time. You tell him so, Gates. You don't write well, it's true. No, 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 Hebert. Just a minute. If the constable has arrested you for breaking the law, we'll have to hear the case in the proper manner. Well, Hebert can be quick about it. I have other things to do better than being subjected to this tomfoolery. Judge Obie's eyes strayed to the clock on the wall. Hmm. Sorry, Heber, but it's just noon o'clock. Court always adjourns at noon. We'll have to hear the charge later. Very well. I've got business over in Wickford. I'll stop on my way back. But I'm warning you, Obadiah Trent. Oh, 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 oh no, just a minute, Heber. Afraid I can't let you leave the jurisdiction of the court until the case has been heard. Not leave? What do you mean? Oh, got to hold you in custody. Constable? Escort your prisoner to town lockup and hold him there till I send for him. To the lockup? Have you gone crazy? Well, I won't stand for it. You take your hands off me, Ed Gates. I'll have the law on all of you, the real law. Not some trumped-up nonsense that... But the constable was carrying out his duties with firmness and dispatch, leading the purple-faced victim from the room and down the street to Terryville's one-cell jail. Judge Obey sat there alone, a worried frown creasing his forehead. Then he picked up the phone called his home. Uh, it's uh, me, Martha. I just want to tell you I won't be home for lunch. Huh? Fresh gooseberry pie. Oh, darn. Well, save for me. Might be you'll have to send me shirt to county jail if Heber Trafton has his way. Huh? Oh, uh, nothing I'll explain later. For now, I'm going up the river and do a little fishing. Got an idea I'll do better to kind of keep out of sight the next couple hours. Yeah, goodbye, Martha. It was a little before two o'clock when Judge Obie returned to his office to find an anxious Constable Gates awaiting him with a report that their prisoner had subsided into a grim silence. At exactly two o'clock, the phone rang, and over the wire he was hearing an ecstatic Millie report that the foreclosure sale was over, and she was now once again in full possession of her property. He ordered her to hurry on home to Terryville. At 2.45, Millie arrived. At three o'clock, his face dark as a thundercloud... Heber was brought before the battered desk that served as Judge Obie's bar of justice. His eyes took in Millie's smiling face, hurried on by her to rest on Obadiah. So, just as I suspected, this was a trumped-up piece of skullduggery to keep me from that foreclosure sale. <clears throat> Court will come to order. Court! Court! <laughs> You're going to find out what happens in court before I'm through with you, Obi Trent. False arrest, criminal assault, full damages for the value of that property. <laughs> you and your two lead gates are going to hear a lot more about this. You'll know all about courts. Yes, and jails. Judge Obi, Millie's voice was tinged with fear. He, he can't do all that to you, Kenny. You haven't gotten into trouble trying to help me. Silence, everybody. Silence. <clears throat> now, Constable... What's the charge against this man? Well, 
According to you, Judge Ovi, uh, speeding. Hmm? How fast was he going? Well, clocked him all the way into town like you told me to. Never went less than 20. Hmm. Huh? Looks like you're guilty, Heber. Guilty of what? The state law gives me the right to drive... road you was on ain't never been made a part of the state highway system. Still a township road. Well, what difference does that make? Oh, considerable, considerable. Under a lawful ordinance of the township of Terryville, I could keep you in jail 24 hours. However, I'm going to be generous and let your sentence be the three hours you already spent there. Town lockup's damp and drafty. <laughs> your rheumatism be cruel and inhuman punishment to keep you there overnight. And just what is this ordinance? All eyes were on the smiling face of Judge Obi. Well, <laughs> it's an old one, but it's never been revoked. I could read it to you out of the book, but uh, I'd rather show you. Yeah, come on with me. They followed him out of the office and down the street. Millie and Ed Gates worried. Heber grim. Only Judge Obi appeared to be enjoying it. At last they stopped. Yeah, now then. There you are, Hebert. In plain sight for all and sundry to read and be warned. Their eyes followed his pointing finger. Up, up to the wooden superstructure of the old bridge. Up to the dusty, long-neglected sign to whose words Obadiah gave voice. Notice. <clears throat> Twenty-four hours in jail or ten dollars fine for driving over this bridge faster than a walk. He turned to Heber with an impish grin. Ed says you never drove less than 20 miles an hour coming into town, which includes crossing the bridge. And I reckon 20 miles an hour is faster than a walk. And now, Millie, whilst Heber goes home to consider his sins and how they kept him from that foreclosure sale, you and I are going out to our house. Mother made fresh gooseberry pie today, which is the best darn thing I know about for a celebration. Friends, if you try Edward's coffee, you'll discover right off that it really does give you an extra flavor lift. That's because the Edwards people blend and roast the careful, custom way under Mr. Dwight Edwards' own personal supervision. The choice coffee beans used in the exclusive Edwards blend are even pre-selected for size, shape, and color, blended by flavor, not by weight, and always in small batches for finer control. Each batch is roasted by the heated air thermalo process, not by direct flame. So all the richness of flavor stays right in the coffee. Yes, and to bring you the full natural coffee flavor at its peak of freshness, each pound is immediately ground and vacuum-packed. Edwards is delicious coffee, believe me. Try a pound and see. If you don't thoroughly enjoy its extra flavor lift, your money refunded. Edwards coffee is featured at all Safeway stores. Well, Hal, I'm sure we all hope that uh, Judge Obi comes back in another yarn soon. <laughs> well, what's ahead for next week? Well, Officer Danny O'Hearn had two great desires. First, to get the man who murdered his father. And second, well, that had to do with the future of Mary Foran and the watchful eye of Mother Foran. All of which is combined in a yarn titled Time Saver. And one I hope you'll all enjoy when I tell it in the newsroom next week. Good night. Join us next week at this same time when the roar of the presses brings us another night editor story written and told by Hal Burdick. This is Bill Baldwin saying good night for Edwards Coffee. This is the National Broadcasting Company. The night editor ran on the radio from 1934 until 1948. Sponsored by Edwards Coffee, this program featured Hal Burdick as the night editor. 
Burdick would receive re readers' requests for stories in a letter to the editor format, which he would tell on the program. Burdick played all the characters in each episode. The stories varied greatly, including tales of war, adventure, crime, and the occasional ghost story. The radio series was adapted for Night Editor, a short-lived TV series on the Dumont Television Network in 1954, also hosted by Burdick, it was, and it was also the basis for a feature film in the 1940s. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week.